Good morning everybody. It's a blessing for me to come to you and today I'm going to share on a undivided heart before God. A heart that is united because of the love of God. We're going to be reading from Psalm 86 and I'll be reading verse 10 uh, to 15 and we're going to just take it verse by verse with some cross references and so forth. I would like for you to know that the to have an undivided heart before God is not your job. It is God's work. And as we behold the work of God, our heart will stand united before him. There will Doubt will be removed. So many times we think that we are those who should not doubt. Uh, and we try not to doubt by our own ability. But it is God that brings forth unity in our hearts. It's God that takes away double-mindedness as we behold what he is doing. The only thing that we need to do if you really want to do something is just hear his promise and look at what he has done in Jesus. And as we see that and as we see ourselves united with that, we will find that our hearts uh, is united. Our heart becomes or comes to a place where doubt is removed from us by the doing of God. We even see this in the scripture. The one person came to Jesus and uh, they, he wanted prayer and Jesus said to him, Do you believe? He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. So it is even within the ability of God and within the boldness of man to make a request towards God to remove our unbelief or any belief that is un if you want to call it like that, or wrong belief, or any form of doubt. We find that the disciples, they were doubting when they were in the ship, but Jesus met them where they were, and he uh, overcame their unbelief. He overcame their doubts. So in the very same way, I believe this is the case, what, uh, what I'm going to bring to you in Psalm 86. Let us read together. For you are great and and do marvelous deeds, you alone are God. We can see here that the psalm writer just exalts God and honors who he is, that he is great, that he does marvelous deeds, you alone are God. And now he is asking God to do a marvelous deed for him in his life. And in this case, he's not so much pointing to deliverance from the enemy. He is asking God for something that is much greater than delivering from the enemy. You know, if you've got an enemy in this world, there is means by which you can remove your enemy uh, by, the, by just simple willpower, by um, just, you know, doing certain things to diminish him if you want to. We look at what's happening in Russia and the Ukraine and so forth. If one person thinks the other one is his enemy, he can just go and take a gun and try and wipe him from the face of the earth. Now, uh, we find the psalm writer asking something that is greater than what can ever be done by guns or courts or any of those kind of things. He says here, and let me just read it again. He says, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. And now we're going to see that the psalm writer is asking God to do a marvelous deed in his heart. And this is what he's saying. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. So he sees a marvelous deed as God teaching him God's way of doing things. 
So many times we think we think of ways wherein things need to be done. And the ways wherein things need to be done, we have narrowed it down to what we would call a certain moral way of living in this world, which the atheistic world has narrowed down to mere morality as a social construct and not as something that comes from the resurrected Jesus Christ. The good that we need to do because we are social uh, beings and because we live together, we have now built up laws and we've got governments and we've got uh, constitutions and institutions and all those kind of things. And that's how we live. He goes as far as to say, Lord, I want a marvelous work being done. And that is that you would teach me your way lord your way jehovah and when he when he uses the word lord there he uses the word for self-existing one the eternal existing self-existing one the way wherein god lives his eternal way i want to know that and he says here teach me your way that i may rely on your faithfulness give me an undivided heart isn't that absolutely awesome? So I want to say to you, an undivided heart is not within your ability. The psalm writer comes and he says, I want an undivided heart and it is only going to come from the one that does great and marvelous deeds who alone is God. So I want to say to you, an undivided heart is something that only God can give you. And an undivided heart comes to those who want it. That is as simple as what it is. We see the psalm writer here say, show me your way, we're going to talk about the way of God, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear or have reverence for your name. There's so much depth in that. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. So what he's saying, God, uh, the only way I can praise you with all my heart is if you give me an undivided heart. And the only way I can have an undivided heart is if you show me your way to the point that I can rest and rely upon your faithfulness. You see, an undivided heart, is a heart that relies upon the faithfulness of God. That means that the only way wherein God can get your heart not to be divided is to present you with His faithfulness. The problem that we have in Christianity, and I wouldn't just say in Christianity, the problem that any religion has is this, that it is a divi it's divided. It is based on the faithfulness of God combined with our faithfulness and undivided attention and worship of this God or what we can bring to the table. It's not something that is solely based on God. We need to understand that God in his dealings with man started with man as dust and he knows the ability of dust. 
He is not surprised that we have no ability in ourselves. He's not surprised that we don't have faithfulness from ourselves. We are standing in his faithfulness. The only faithfulness that we can have is a reliance upon his faithfulness or a faithfulness that is produced because he has persuaded our hearts of his faithfulness. And the only thing that can come from us since we've been made uh, free will agents is to want it. That's all. That's something that can come from ourselves is to want it because that's how we've been designed by God, to want, to desire. Even dust has got a desire unto life. Dust cannot live by itself as it is a place where it lacks life and can desire life, is in need of life. So when God made us from the dust of the earth, we were made with a desire and a want for life. And that is all we say. That is what we want. We acknowledge that, O God. Okay, so let's read it again. Teach me your way, Lord. Teach me, in other words, what you do what you bring to the table, how faithful you are, that I may rely or walk in your faithfulness. I want to say to you that our walk in this earth is not in our faithfulness or the faithfulness of those around us. You will find that there are systems in this world, and those of you that have listened to my message last Sunday, uh, where I've explained the things that we are going through, the systems of this world is not reliable, man. It's not faithful. The systems of this world is built on sand. It falls apart. I'm just thinking of, uh, you know, swimming, women's swimming, you know, and all the world records and everything that's being shattered by somebody that's a biological man and now identifies as a woman, transgender, and the whole thing. I don't even know how to word all of those, all of that. But to me... If you ask me, you know, is that right? My opinion would definitely be that it is not right to have a biological man compete in women's races. But to me, that is not even the big issue. The big issue to me is that the world has made everything uh, about, and if you think the emphasis that's placed on sport and how we find our identity and even the restoration of women in the earth, in women's sport, and how they can compete, and how they are honored, and all of that. Something that is a human construct by human ability, and how that can fall in a day. In one day, there's nothing left of it. All of a sudden, if identity was in medals, and in even if humanity thought, look what we have achieved, we have brought women's rights forth, and so forth, the whole thing, they've got access to compete in the Olympics, and they are honored as equals, and so forth. I mean, the whole restoration thing that has taken place in the world falls flat in one day. In one day. We sit with courts in America where judges cannot even define what a woman is. If you ask them, what is a woman? They cannot say. So how can we find stability? How can we find rest in a system that is so weak, so built on dust, that a judge of a Supreme Court cannot even define woman? I know she can define woman, but she's too scared to do it because of the political pressure that's put upon her and the system that is pressing in upon her. We live in a world that is so fake, 
that is so flooded with death that it would be impossible for us to have an undivided heart unless God brings it forth. The systems of this world is not faithful unto bringing life to people, neither does it have the ability. The systems of this world is only subject to man's own ability to bring forth life. And I want to tell you this, that dust cannot bring forth life by itself. Dust remains dust. That's what it is. And if you even look at scientists, they analyzed the world and the system of the world and everything, and they said, what we go, what's going to happen to humanity is that we're all going to turn back to dust and we're going to die a heat death, meaning all the stars at the end, of the, at, at the end is going to explode and there's going to be darkness and nothingness. That's, what's, that's where all of this is going. Now, if we've been taken from that dust, what can we produce? Only nothing. Unless God comes and he takes nothing and he puts himself into the nothing, we will find nothing come forth and be forever. But the beautiful thing is, is if God takes nothing and he pours himself out in the nothing and the nothing contains God, then the nothing now carries everything. And that is the faithfulness of God. I hope we can see that God's way of doing has been demonstrated from Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Who created the heavens and the earth? God or man? No, God did. Then he took man from the dust of the earth. And he blew the breath of life into man. He borrowed life to man. He gave man self-awareness. He gave man the ability to know that uh, he, he of, of, of otherness, meaning that man is here and God is there. He had self-awareness. He gave him a mind and intellect. He gave him everything that is possible that could possibly be given to him to perceive and understand and rely upon God. And that is for the purpose of man eating of the tree of life, which would be to contain the fullness of God bodily. Nowhere do we find that man came to the table and tried to strike a deal with God in creating heaven and earth and making a wonderful place. It has all been God from the beginning. But the moment man received self-awareness, consciousness, uh, God said to man, remember this, that I've given you a garden, I've given you a place to stay, I call it Eden, the garden of God, the, the place of harmony and peace and all those kind of things. Everything you've seen here was brought by me. I provide food for you and I even provide for you the tree of life. The only thing that you should not do now that you have self-awareness and I've borrowed you life, this life is temporal. It is only for you to make a decision in wherein you can decide if you want eternal life. Never use that to think that you can, by your own ability and your own way, have access unto the fullness of God. You cannot have that. So we find in Genesis already God showing us that it is only by his way. And his way is he made a promise and he keeps his promise. 
That's the way of God. And the psalm writer comes and he says, God, I want you to teach me your way. That would be a way wherein, after we've heard it, that we rely on his faithfulness. So, uh, and I've said this in previous messages before, and sorry for repeating myself, but this is of utmost importance for us to understand. In the Mesopotamian beliefs, in the context wherein Genesis was written, the people of that time believes that believed that man was made from basically dead gods, the blood of dead a dead god, Marduk or someone like that, and then or Marduk came and dis, uh, destroyed this god, and then man was made from that, and he was made as the servants of the gods. That these men had to plant gardens, bring forth fruit trees bring forth a temple, make an image of the God, and then take animals, sacrifice these animals, give it to the God so that the God can eat, do it in worship, bring fruit to the gods so the God can eat and be sustained by man. But God, our God, shows his way. His way is not how we can sustain his kingdom in the earth. His way is not about our faithfulness. His way is the following. Dust, God promising dust eternal life. His message is that he brings forth and we simply rely upon him. And as he starts to form and shape us and give us life, that we don't trust our own ability, but that we simply trust him. So when you want to know the way of God, it will be something that leaves you at a place that your heart relies upon how faithful God is. So your gospel that you believe, whenever you face a difficult time, church, whenever you go through uh, uh, something that is uh, uh, difficult, and sometimes in a difficult time it's easier, when it goes well, know this, that how well it goes with you can preach to you and tell you this has been attained by uh, your wits, by how intelligent you are, by what you could bring forth. Never believe that. Never believe what your bank account tells you, be it good or bad. If you've got millions in the bank, I want to tell you, you can lose it in a day. You can lose it in a day. Uh, it, it, it can be wiped from you. In a second, never believe that that can give you life. It can never. The faithfulness of God, which is shown in Jesus, what we need to do is, as the psalm writer, ask God, God, do this miracle in my life. Convince me of your faithfulness so that I can only rely on your faithfulness. And then in, it says your semicolon, give me an undivided heart. An undivided heart is a heart that doesn't live by grace and law. An undivided heart is a heart that says who God is, is what he has promised. I am only dust as pertaining to my own ability. I can only bring forth nothing. If I bring forth something by my own power, it will only return to what it comes from, and that is nothing. But God is faithful, and he has promised, and he keeps his word. He's promised 
Abraham and he brought it forth. He's promised Jesus and that is the center of it all. He's promised Jesus and he's brought forth a creation that can never die in whom and in which the fullness of God is poured out. And that is what he's come to give us. Now, when we talk about the way, I want to just quickly go to the way Jesus lived. And I'm just going to use quickly Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, we find that Jesus, as a human being, showed the way where he lived. This is repetitive, but it is something that has helped me in my life. It will help you. Jesus was baptized. When he was baptized, he was baptized at Bethabara into the sin of the whole world. We need to remember that Bethabara was the place where the Jews crossed over into the promised land, where the Jordan River dammed up, uh, as Joshua says, to a small town called Adam. That is representative of all the sin of all the world. In order to be baptized by John, you had to confess your sin. Jesus had no sin, but he went and he was baptized by John. And the only way you could be baptized by John was to say, I am a sinner. So the only way wherein Jesus could say that he's a sinner is by saying, I fully identify with man. I am fully man. When he was raised up out of the water, the Spirit of God came upon him as a dove and a voice came from heaven saying to a man that carries all the sin of the world, that fully identified with man in his condition of sin, a voice came and said, this is my beloved son. In whom I'm well pleased. Now, <laughs> there was no way wherein Jesus could identify as the Son of God after being baptized uh, into the sin of the world. That would look like uh, uh, a non brainer, a non starter. How can someone full of sin, full of the weakness and mortality of man, forget sin as now um, transgressions, think of sin as fully mortal? How can a man in that condition say he's a son of God? God says it. The only thing Jesus had was that voice from the Father. From there he went into the desert, and as he was tempted in the desert, the temptation was to produce life from his own ability, from that mortal flesh to take his ability and turn stones into bread and feed himself, to live from himself to be uh, 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 an unending God by his own ability. And all that Jesus said is, this is the way I am the Son of God. This is the way. This is God's way. I will live from every word that comes from the mouth of God. A divided heart would say the following, Man will not only live by bread, meaning he must provide bread for himself, but also from every word that comes from the mouth of God. I hope you heard the difference there. When we read that, the law mind hears the following. Man will not live by bread alone. And then in the subconscious would say, bread is needed. We, we also need bread. But man will also live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. But that is not what Matthew says. Matthew says, when Jesus was confronted with his own ability, his mortality to basically eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which would be to say, I have my own ability and by my own ability, 
if you know I am a self more self living eternal God by myself I'm going to use my own ability to live forever Jesus said I mean what we would hear when when we hear that word that says you know uh, turn stones into bread what we hear is well we need bread and by our ability we will provide bread and what we bring to the table is the bread but we will not live forever by the bread alone which we will provide but every word that comes from the mouth of the father now we combine the two the true word that jesus said was you will not live by bread alone but you will and i now put in these words to explain the context alone live from every word that comes from the mouth of the father i can promise you i can give you all the bread that there is i can give you all the businesses there are on the earth i can give you the whole all the kingdoms of the world the only thing that you'll become is fat and then you'll die that's all and then in the resurrection you will realize that man only lives by the word of god and that is the way whereby jesus lived so the psalm writer says show me your way that i may rely on your faithfulness so the way was shown to jesus and that was i call you a son and i will manifest you and bring you forth as a son you can simply rely upon me it's very easy to be tempted to show your sonship for me as a preacher in how faithful I am uh, and how good I live and how many people believe what I say and how I spread the gospel or how righteous I all those kind of things. But I will not live by my reputation, but I will live by the reputation of God. That's the only way, and that is the only way you will live. So we find that the way that Jesus uh, shows is that it's only by God keeping his word. That is the only, only way. If we go to John 6, I'm quickly going to open it up there, talking about the way for us. What would be the way for us whereby we can have the life of God or eternal life? John 14, 6 says the following. Jesus, uh, Thomas came to him and says, Lord, we, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? So Jesus is talking about him going to the Father. And uh, when Jesus talks about going to the Father, he's not talking about a place where he's going to. We need to understand that. The Father has always been with Jesus. So if the Father has always been with Jesus and Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, what is he meaning? It does not mean that I'm going to a place. He's actually describing a condition. He's entering into a different condition. He's going into immortality. That is what he's talking about. I'm going to my father. He says, Jesus answered, I am the, they said to him, we don't know where you are going. He says, you know where we are, where I'm going. And let me explain to you. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Jesus is basically saying, I'm going to the father. 
and the way is through me. So, what is he saying? He's saying the only way wherein you can have God as Father, Father of your emotions, Father of your thoughts, Father of your marriage, Father even of your physical body being born again, made a new creation, is through Jesus. The only way unto the Father is through the faithfulness of Jesus. The only way whereby you can ever have eternal life is by Jesus being faithful in raising you from the dead in the last day. The only way whereby you can have the fruit of the Spirit is by Jesus being faithful in pouring out the Spirit on you as he did in Acts chapter 2 and him pouring it out on all flesh, in him being faithful in subduing death in your flesh and bringing forth life and immortality to you. That's the only way. So as we behold the faithfulness of God, and we continually behold how faithful he is and hear a gospel which is about his faithfulness towards us, we will find that we only rely upon him. And his faithfulness. So the way is Jesus. John chapter 1. Let's go to John chapter 1 and 12. It says the following. I have come. That which was. Excuse me. He has come to that which was his own. But his own did not make use of him. Yet to all that makes use of him or receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the sons of God. Sons born not of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So what he's saying is, is the way wherein you will experience the life of God is by the faithfulness of God where we simply receive his name. His name is the name Jesus, Savior, or we can also say his name is the eternal self-existing one that has come to share eternal life with us. So as we want an undivided heart, we behold how faithful he is towards us. And in him showing his faithfulness towards us, what we will do is we will hear a message where we only rely upon him and that is an undivided heart. And from the fullness of your heart is not how, how strong you are committed to him. To serve God with all your heart is not to serve God with strong commitment. To serve God with all your heart is to have a heart that is just flooded with how faithful he is. You know, so many times we might feel guilty. God, I didn't think of you. I only thought of you for 10 minutes today. And now I feel so bad. I'm not serving you with all my heart. That's not how it works. If your persuasion is that the only way whereby you can ever have life is God and only him, you will walk in abundance. Now, I want to just get back to what I spoke about last week in the court case. If, I mean, my, the appeal I have is not to my innocence. I feel that I have not harmed the man. But I cannot stand and say, I can only experience life because I have not harmed the man. 
No. The way wherein I have life is by the faithfulness of God. If I was guilty or not, it's irrelevant as pertaining to the genuineness of life I will experience because the life I experience is not based on how I write the letter. It's based on the letter of God written in the man, Jesus Christ. So my appeal is to the mercy and the kindness and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to have life and joy and peace today. Hallelujah. Psalm 23 says that God prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. What that, and that is true for all of us, and all of us has got different enemies. The table that is prepared is the following. I prepare for you bread and wine to eat right now, and that you can have joy that is born from the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Jesus, the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, from where God fulfills his faithfulness towards us, from where my thoughts and my emotions and my feelings and even the change in my physical body unto eternal life is experienced. That is given to me in the midst of trouble. I mean, Paul was writing in from the heart of a jail and he says, I'm treated as an, uh, a, a, a criminal. But the word of God is not jailed, meaning the word is spreading all over the world and it reaches me right here in jail. I'm being fed in the middle of the jail. You cannot cut the provision of food. You cannot cut my provision it is impossible you can may maybe close the water the tap at the at the gate you can maybe close the shops but you cannot close or cut off the supply that brings true joy and true life that's why my appeal is to the almighty god and his mercy and his grace and the life that he provides in the resurrected jesus christ not if i am guilty or innocent now, I'm just showing you an example of uh, uh, undivided heart here. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we can just see what Paul said here. Listen to this. As all of you know, my life is an open book. I always preach. From, I preach the gospel as God works it in me. So bear with these examples that I'm using. It says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and this is how a life born from the resurrected Jesus, an undivided heart, this is how it looks in the life of Paul. And this was not because of Paul, it was because of Jesus. Paul said, the life I live is not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's the faithfulness of God that has persuaded my heart and flooded my heart. It's not my heart concentration, it's not, not my unwavering dedication, it is simply God flooding my heart. Bernice West is a, 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 Africa, a, a musician in South Africa. She sings Afrikaans songs. She, she's just released this new song, and this is what she said. She said, uh, God, enter the rooms of my heart and paint every corner and so enlighten me. An undivided heart is not a heart that is undivided because of your mental ability to concentrate. It is a heart wherein God has come and 
colored in every corner with his faithfulness and his commitment towards you. Where to the point that you, you your heart trusts. And that is what belief is. Belief is when your heart r- comes to rest, when the mind, excuse me, belief is when the mind comes to rest at the integrity of God. So when will you believe? When will you trust? Is when God has put enough facts on the table in Jesus Christ that your mind goes to rest at his integrity, wherein your future is only based on his integrity and not your own works. This is how it looks in the life of Paul. This is 1 Corinthians uh, 4. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries of God and that, he, and that which he has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So in other words, he says, it's required of us preachers to be faithful. Now listen to what he says next. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. (laughs) He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. That judge there doesn't mean um, judged as in found guilty. That judge there is if I have your approval. He says here, I care very little if I have your approval or the approval of any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. I don't even approve of myself, meaning I cannot produce life from myself. It says here, my conscience is clear. I don't know of anything that I'm doing wrong, but that does not uh, justify me. Another word, justify means bring forth life. So what Paul is saying here, he says, he says, this is how an undivided heart looks. It is expected of me to be faithful, but it's a very little thing for me if you judge me as faithful and say, good, Paul, you are faithful. Or even if a human court says, there's nothing wrong with you, Paul. He says, even I myself don't find anything wrong with myself, but I am not justified by it. Justifying the New Testament means to have the life of God, to have the righteousness that God has given us as a free gift manifested and revealed. That is what the Apostle Paul says there. So he says, the psalm writer says, show me your way that I may only rely upon your faithfulness and so have an undivided heart. I want to now look at justify quickly there, Romans chapter 3. I tell you, when I preach this message, (laughs) I don't want to say I get the feeling I'm outside of my body. I think I get the feeling that my body is outside of mortality. I start to experience as I preach preach this, I feel the words that had to be spoken and said, let there be light. (laughs) Glory to God. Romans 3. It says from verse 19, Now we know that whatsoever the law says, it says to them that are under the law, for the purpose that every mouth may be silenced and that the whole world may be held accountable to God. The law was given so that 
every person can see that he is merely dust and that the world may be held accountable to God. In other words, God would be accountable for life. The law shows that no man by his own power could ever have life. And I use my own words here so that life in man might be God's problem and not ours. So the law was given to us that we might know God's way. The law shows us that we cannot do it by ourselves. You cannot have peace by the outcome of your business. You cannot have peace by the outcome of what happens politically in South Africa. We cannot have peace by how some board somewhere and some judge decide uh, if biological males can now swim with biological women. If you want your peace from there, the law system is designed to show you that we are only the only place where be, whereby we can have life is God. We are account God is accountable to give us life and not us. So we, when we stand before God, we stand wanting, lacking, as pertaining to having the ability to bring forth life and peace and joy in our lives today. I want to tell you, it is of God, it is God's responsibility to give Bertie Brits and Elena Brits and you that are listening to me right now, peace in a broken world. Because this world is broken, we don't have the ability to concentrate perfectly all the time. We don't have the ability to do all things right all the time. We don't have that. And God knows that, and the biggest thing is not for Him to know it, it's for us to know it. He's always known it. He's never been ashamed of the fact that we have been made of dust, and that we don't have the ability. He's never been ashamed of that. He's made us that way, so that all can always be of Him. We believe Him. And you know what's the gospel the gospel is that Jesus was then raised from the dead. He, did, he, he does completely and in full authority rule over all mortality and all dust, meaning that we in Christ now have access to the fullness of life bodily. I preached on that last Sunday. Please go and listen to that. It is it's just a mind-blowing truth can't say it's a mind-blowing message because I maybe could have preached it better, but it's a mind-blowing truth. Glory to God. It says here, now we know that whatsoever the law says, it says to them that are under the law that every mouth may be silenced and that the whole world may be held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our dustiness or sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given us through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to all that believe. 
Okay, so. <laughs> but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Remember what he says, what the psalm writer says, he says, show me your way that I may rely on your righteousness. So that would be apart from the law. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through, so the righteousness that we will rely upon is given through faith in Jesus Christ, or in the Greek it would say, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, and it's given to all who believe. So, the righteousness that we will rest in, the faithfulness that we will have, which is in Jesus, would be in how faithful he was in relying upon the Father and the Father raising him from the dead and where he is now and in the condition that he is now in ruling over our mortality. That is what it is about. I'm going to end off with Matthew 6. Already run out of time, but let me just do Matthew 6 quickly. This is like an absolute nailing the coffin, a, a shattering, a, a hammer shattering rock, the scripture. Matthew 6, and I'm going to read uh, from verse 19. It says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, moth destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, don't make your treasure in what is temporal. See, Jesus is not temporal. But we think that eternal means not non-physical. Jesus is so physical that we're struggling to see him. I don't know how to explain that. Uh, it, it, is, it is more physical than what he ever was. You must realize that we, this, this human body without God, can, is, is, is physical to a certain point. Then it's going to lose its physicality and return to dust or return into other kinds of molecules or whatever. I mean, if I'm eaten by a shark, what will my body turn into? Do you see that my physicality is temporal? But Jesus' physicality is eternal. Because his grave is empty. He's a descendant of David raised from the dead to live forever. And his rulership is to bring that uh, eternal condition to you. And that eternal condition also has a certain character trait that's with it. Which is peace and joy and kindness and all those kind of things. That's why we live like that. It's not because we've decided to live good and remember scripture now, live right. It is the condition we are being transformed into because of the rulership of Jesus. It says, but store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy. In other words, let that which is eternal and immortal be your treasure. 
and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where will our heart be? God will show his way. What is his way? His way is the way of the eternal. And as we behold the eternal, his way, the resurrection of Jesus, our heart will be undivided on that. He says the eye of the eye is the lamp or the brilliance of the body. The eye is the brilliance of what? Of the of the body. You see the resurrection here. If your eye is healthy, in the Greek it says, if your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy or evil, evil means full of labor and annoyance, full of what you bring to the, to the table. That word evil in the Greek means full of hard work, labors, annoyance, dividedness. You bringing your, your work to the table. It says your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, if your light is what you must bring to the table combined with what God must bring to the table, uh, your whole body will be full of darkness. And how great is that darkness? So what he's saying here is if the lamp, if the way you look at things is you're not looking at the temporal, you're looking at the eternal, the immortal, bodily raised Jesus. And if your eye is single, single in the Greek means to be braided, to come to a point, to be put together. It's also used of a double-edged sword where you get the two edges and it comes to the point. If your eye is single, if your eye comes to the point which is the unification of God in human flesh from where you see the faithfulness of God to keep his promise which he had from before the world began which was to give us eternal life. If your eye sees the eternal Eternal man, Jesus, and you are braided in with him. Father, Son, Spirit, and you, you are braided in to the Godhead. If you can see that, you see the way wherein God brings life to you. And that way is only found in his faithfulness. And that's how you have an undivided heart that's how God brings an undivided heart to you and then from a full heart you will worship God and live worship God simply would mean to live let me end off like a good preacher for a second time I want to just go to Psalm 86 again listen to what he's saying he says Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may have reverence for your name, which means eternal life. Flood my heart with what you do, that I may have reverence for the fact that you are the self-existing eternal God. I don't have to repeat the message. Uh, I've just <laughs> explained very well. Listen to what he says. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart with this undivided heart. I will glorify your name forever. What is your name? Salvation, the self-existing eternal God. For great is your love towards me. So what would be, in which way would God uh, convince us of his love? By his great love towards us. How will he show us 
His way by showing His love. His way is how He loves us. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Can you see that an undivided heart is a heart that understands the resurrection of Jesus? That's what he says. Then he goes on living with this undivided heart now. He says, arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for you. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. Can you see how his heart is undivided? He can now say, God, I see these arrogant foes that has got no regard for you, trying to destroy my heart, my life. But Lord, you are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. I'm turning to your mercy, Lord. That is how the psalm writer lives in an undivided heart. Jesus has come to give us an undivided heart. Let him that ask not be double-minded. In other words, come with a conviction that Jesus was raised from the dead and that you are braided into the Godhead and that we behold eternal life as a free gift to us. And those who ask wisdom in that way will receive wisdom, not in the, just in their mind in what, what to do, but also in their actions wherein the Spirit of God by grace brings forth the actions of God in us. Hallelujah. Well, that is not all that I wanted to say, but I have to call a halt here. I want to thank you that you have allowed me to serve you with this absolute good news message. It is a message that is above what a human mind could ever fathom. That's what C.S. Lewis says. He says the wonderful thing about Christianity for him is that the solution that is brought to man in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how God deals with man is above the ability of man to construct. It's above the intellect of man. Man cannot even think of such a plan. It is too high. It's too lofty for a carnal mind. Glory to God. Well, thank you so much. Let us just pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. I want to thank you that I can pray for people that are watching today. Thank you that you have come to give us an undivided heart. Thank you that we can come with boldness to you. And we see how you have colored in every room with the color of your life to the point that you enlighten even my body and, and the bodies of the people with a condition wherein we say that sin in the flesh has been mortified, therefore we are experiencing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we can stand undivided when we look at this world, the, the wickedness of this world, but where we can say, we don't live by that, for you are faithful, and our hearts rest in your faithfulness. And so we can now, with a heart that simply believes in your faithfulness, worship you with all our heart, because our heart is not about a part given where we worship our own works. We only worship you. Thank you, Lord, that you've made it easy for us. In Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, I want to just thank again everybody that has slotted in. If you want to uh, stay online and fellowship with friends around this good news, or maybe if you need prayer, uh, just remain online and 
the, all those that remain online will, get, will gather then into groups. Helena will do that, and that's how you can then fellowship with one another. Helena and I will be going to Zambia uh, soon. I think by just after uh, the when are we leaving? Yeah, on next Tuesday, Wednesday, round about there, we're going to be going to Zambia, and we'll be there for about, I think, uh, between a month and two months. Uh, we're going to finish the house that we are building there, and we're just excited on preaching and sharing the gospel. We also want to just construct everything there that we can do things the way we do it here. I'll put up a small studio there as well, so that when I'm there, that we don't neglect what we're doing right now, so that we can be preaching the gospel. We'll bring the gospel, this good news of the resurrection, to people in the bushman, that they're going to experience what God has done for them in Jesus. Just thank you again for your love for Helena and I, your support in, uh, in difficult times, the love that you have for all of us. Thank you, and then I will see you then again next Sunday. God bless.